give you, all, <clears throat> give you all a warm welcome to our service today. I've got two intimations. Um, the Deacon's Court meets on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. And the mission in need boxes, um, they can be picked up either at the Wednesday midweek meeting or next Sunday. Uh, we'll begin by singing from Psalm 40 and sing Psalms, verses 6 to 10, and the tune is Walton. You did not ask that calves or goats be brought as sacrifice for sin. We'll stand and sing. You did not ask that calves or goats be thanks that we can come to you. Uh, what a great blessing that is. That we can find ourselves in the presence of God. Not in some kind of physical way, but in a spiritual manner. It is impossible for us to explain how all this happens. But here we are, in your presence. 
with you speaking to us and us speaking to you. You have things to say to us, uh, things that we need to hear, things about who you are, about who Jesus is, about what the Holy Spirit does, and we have things to say to you about where we have fallen short, about where we have been disappointed, about our realization of our needs, and a whole range of other things. We thank you, Lord, that sometimes you speak to us audibly from your word, and we hear that. At other times, you speak to us in our hearts, pointing out things that we may have seen or may not have seen. It's good for us, Lord, to hear your voice. And when we hear your promises, we thank you for that. But other times we hear your rebukes, or we may have our sins highlighted, and our response must be not to ignore these indications, but to confess them to you. It's not enough for us merely to be aware of our failures, our sins. We have to speak to you about them. And we thank you, Lord, that we can speak to you in our hearts. So as we go through this service, there can be an ongoing dialogue between us and you. Help us, Lord, to participate in the dialogue. It's important for us that it is a dialogue. It's not merely just to hear what you have to say, nor is it merely just about what we have to say. But there has to be both sides. And we ask, Lord, that that would be our experience today and that the Holy Spirit would enable us to interact with yourself as we sing to you, pray to you, hear your word, think about you in the sermon, and as we respond to you at the close, even when we hear the benediction, that we would be reacting to you. Lord, you know everything about us. You know where we are in life. You know what our treasures have been the last week. You know what we might be anticipating this coming week. Everything in our lives is known to you. You know what our fears are, what our disappointments are, what our concerns are, what our hopes are. And we thank you, Lord, that we can commit all these things to you. You are the God who is at this moment, working all things together for good. 
we sometimes imagine that the time for you working all these things together for good is at the end of them all. And while no doubt there's, a, there's truth in that, your word does tell us that you are working in the present. And you are working even now uh, for our good, all things together, all things in our life and all things in everyone's life. Lord, we are aware of the state of our country at the moment, all the uncertainty and troubles and problems that are facing our rulers, and we also can see that there's a lot of confusion and people not really knowing uh, what to do or, or even to assess accurately what to expect. And while there's no doubt lots of reasons for that at the human level, we have to confess that this is your providence and in it you are speaking very loudly. And we just pray, Lord, that in our current circumstances, that we as a country would hear your voice and just ask ourselves, why is everything seeming to go wrong. You have a controversy with us. We have departed from you. We have turned away from your law. And even worse, we have turned away from your gospel. And it's wonderful to have the power of God for us. But what will life be like if that power is against us. Lord, we just ask that you would have mercy. We pray that the political situation will be sorted out. But we also pray that there would be a real spiritual revival. You're able to do it. You've done it in the past. We ask you, Lord, to do it again. You've done it quickly in the past. We pray, Lord, you would do it again quickly, not just a revival for our country, but for every country. Lord, come in gracious power and bring that about. We pray, Lord, for those of our number who are not well, that you would remember them, and those who are getting treatment, that you would bless that treatment to them. Remember those who are away today, we commit them to you, and we ask you, Lord, to bless them wherever they are. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet here together as families, and we pray that as families, we would all know your blessing and your peace would be upon us. Remember the children here, and we pray you'd Help each one of them to trust in you while they are still young and that they would dedicate their lives to you even when they are children and that they would spend all their lives serving you. So Lord, remember them, we pray. And in their Sunday school today, bless them. And the children's talk they'll get shortly, may it be blessed to them as well. So, Lord, be with us in our service.
We thank you. It's one of your means of grace. And therefore the grace is already flowing towards us. And help us to experience it. For your own name's sake. Amen. We'll read from the Gospel of Luke. And chapter 4. And verses 16 to 30. came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Saraphath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And may God bless that reading. Now Graham will give a children's talk. How are you all today? Good. Nice to see you all. Have you all been enjoying your October holidays? There, guys. Have you been enjoying your October holidays? Yeah. Have you? Are you looking forward to going back to school? Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, 
Now, I was going to ask you this morning, do you like to read? Um, or maybe if you can't read, maybe you like have a story read to you. Anyone like that? Yeah? Do any of you have a favourite story that you like? Or a favourite character from a book? Any, anyone? No one likes reading? Oh dear. Okay. Well, when I was about a bit older than you, I liked reading famous fact books. They were so exciting. And there was mystery and adventure. And I remember I was supposed to be going to sleep and I'd be reading a book and it'd be so exciting I had to just keep reading it and find out what the next chapter was about. So it's good to read. But do you know that um, out of all the books that I've ever read, And you'll discover lots of good books, I'm sure, through school and get old. Of all the books that have been written, there's one book that's different from all the rest. There's one book can change your life. There's one book which is... Temptation, deliver us from evil. 
kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, forever. Amen. Well, thank you, Graham. When I was singing Psalm 146 and sing Psalms, and the tune is Stuttgart. Praise the Lord, my soul, praise him. I'll extol him all my days. We'll stand and sing the whole psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul, praise him. turn back to chapter we read there, Luke chapter 4, and I'd like us to think together about verses uh, 18 and 19. 
where Jesus um, quotes from a couple of passages in Isaiah and applies them to himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This passage is interesting for lots of reasons. Could be wrong in this, but I think it's the only passage that indicates that Jesus could read. We might find that not too surprising, but then how many people could read way back in the first century? You'd have had to learn to read like anyone else. So obviously, he could read. He was also very good at finding passages in a scroll. Some of us difficulty finding passages in English. But Jesus found it very easily in Hebrew. And anybody who has seen Hebrew would know it wasn't an easy language to identify verses in. It's also possible he was a translator because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But by the time Jesus was on earth, the language that was spoken in Israel was Aramaic. So Jesus would have had to translate the passage as he read it. So it's interesting from that point of view He was a normal man, but he was obviously a very gifted man, able to do with ease things that other people might find more difficulty with. Luke tells us something about his regular way of life. He tells us that when uh, Jesus came to Nazareth, he says it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And of course, that might not surprise us too much, because probably everybody in the village went to the synagogue. But it also tells us that part of his custom was that he took part in the services. 
He's been away for a while from Nazareth. And I think if we put together all the passages in the four Gospels, he's been away for a few months. But here he is, back. And what do they do when he comes back? They give it to him to read. He wouldn't have been the only reader in the synagogue because people took turns to do it. But you get the impression from this that they gave it to him to read, that they were expecting something interesting to hear. One thing we can say about what they heard it certainly wasn't what they were expecting. They knew all about his abilities. They knew his family. They thought they knew him. But they're about to discover that they didn't. Because he said to them something extraordinary. Isaiah, in chapter 61, had predicted that somebody would yet come and announce that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Of course, that's a a reference to the Messiah. But if you had seen Jesus for 30 years as he lived in Nazareth, would you have thought he was the Messiah? After all, he's just a carpenter. It's not entirely clear from the way the crowd speak here whether Joseph has yet died. It looks as if he was dead before Jesus died. But Jesus' death was still three years away. But just the way they speak about Joseph here, is this not Joseph's son? Kind of suggests that Joseph might still be alive. Who knows? But anyway, it is a question to ask ourselves. Would we have thought Jesus was the Messiah if all we had seen him doing was working in the carpenter's shop? They had heard rumors that he was now engaged in doing things he hadn't really done before. And maybe that's why they wanted to hear him that day. Because Jesus, in his response to their initial approval, says to them, you will say to me, well, we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Of course, that statement tells us that Jesus had done nothing unusual 
and Nazareth before then. So these people were really surprised when Jesus stood up and stated that Isaiah 61, with its prediction about this individual on whom the Spirit of the Lord would be, that there he was, standing in front of them. That's what he says to them, isn't it? This day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He said to them, you have heard and you have seen the man on whom the Spirit of the Lord is. And when we read his um, statement, his quotations from Isaiah, it almost reads like a mission statement, doesn't it? Or a political manifesto. Somebody making incredible promises. And what promises can compare to proclaiming liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed? We would, um, I think, say that was wonderful goals but are they really attainable well I suppose first impressions of this occasion might cause people to wonder I mean there was obviously some kind of dialogue going on in the service And we can see that the people in the synagogue were looking at each other there in verse 22 and speaking well of him. I mean, they're not doing this at the synagogue door after the service. They're doing it in the service. And they're just saying, well, this is incredible. But then they started to question. It's not this. Joseph's son, how can he possibly do these things? Now, as they thought about it that way, they decided he was actually blasphemed. And therefore, they made a decision that the best thing to do with him was to throw him over the cliff. Nazareth is built on a cliff. And this would certainly be a very public way of getting rid of him. I suppose we could say that in five minutes he had gone from being their favorite son to being their most despised inhabitant. And it all happened because he spoke the truth. If he had told lies, we might not be too surprised at their response. But their response is, 
because he told the truth. And of course, that response to Jesus was not confined to them. It's very easy for Jesus to go from being somebody's favorite, especially when we pick a couple of promises that happen to suit us. It's very easy for him to go from there to being to someone we dismiss as not being relevant when he tells us something else. And that's usually the truth about ourselves. And we want rid of him. And while it's not possible for us to throw him over a cliff, we can still do whatever we wish just to silence his words. The problem is he cannot be silent. not a problem for most of us, of course. We're glad he cannot be silent. And even this statement that he makes here, it's got relevance for us. And we'll think about that later on. I suppose when we think about someone making these claims, want to know what what is qualifications for making them. So I'd like us to think about that first of all. What are his qualifications? And then secondly, if somebody is going to do all this, he needs to be equipped. So I'll think about that secondly. And then thirdly, what does he actually mean in what he says? I suppose you can call that the quality of his words. Qualification. What qualifications does he have? Well, there's basically two. And we're familiar with them already. Qualification number one is he's a divine person. And if there's anyone that we should listen to, it should be a divine person. He is one of the Trinity, the second person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one who has had no beginning. I mean, Christmas was not his commencement of his existence. He has always been. Some people find it hard to get their heads around that. Well, there's no sense, there's no point trying. Because how can we understand it? Someone with no beginning. Someone with no end. 
such a person doesn't deserve to be assessed. He deserves to be worshipped. He's far greater than us. Infinitely greater. The Apostle John tells us that he was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. It's an interesting title of Jesus, the Word. It means he's a great communicator. The communicator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's there with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And there's almost a sense in what John uses there that the role of the Son is to be the communicator. Paul tells us that Jesus existed in the form of God. Did not regard it as something to strive after. He didn't climb to get there. He always was there. And the author of Hebrews quotes one of the Psalms and Psalm 102 and in that quotation he selects verses and applies them to Jesus and says he's the creator and the recreator of the universe. Imagine him coming to speak to us. Well, that's what happened here in Nazareth. And surely being a divine person is a great qualification. In addition to being a divine person, he had a second qualification, and that was he's a sinless human. He's never done anything wrong. Again, we can't get our heads around that one, can we? Have we ever spent a minute when we're awake, when no sinful thought has gone through our minds? It doesn't have to be a bad thought. All it has to be is a self-centered one. Have we ever done that? None of us have. Jesus, constantly, whether he was a child or an adolescent or an adult, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. Extraordinary, isn't it? Luke tells us, as a child, he grew in stature and wisdom. Of course, wisdom is a very wonderful thing. It basically means that someone knows what to do. It's more than knowledge. Knowledge is just information. 
Wisdom is what? The skill to apply the knowledge. And Jesus, as a child, was full of wisdom. When he was 12 years old, as we know, Luke tells us that he went up to the temple and had a discussion with the the teachers there. He's learning from them. And no doubt they were learning from him. But he's only 12. He's on the, taking his first steps into teenage years. And what does he want to do? Well, he tells us the answer when he gives Mary, his mother, an answer. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Nothing else was in his mind to do the will of God. That just filled his horizon. How did he do that? What made him the man he was? He had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit without measure. The Holy Spirit had brought about his conception in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit was with him all his days as a child and as a teenager, teaching him, informing him that he was the Messiah and enabling him to dedicate himself wholeheartedly to the mission that he he had engaged in. We sometimes find it difficult to um, work out the relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is also divine. Why did he need the Holy Spirit? It is an interesting question. The best of minds and Christian theologians have tried to come up with the answer. I think the answer has been provided. I think it was provided a long time ago by by John Owen. And he just said, I'll put it into, (laughs) I won't say what he said, because if I did say it, you wouldn't understand it. But he just said, the only divine act that the Son of God actually did was to unite his deity to humanity. And everything Jesus did after that, he did in the power of the Spirit. Everything. He did nothing that was not in the power of the Spirit. He thought nothing that was not by the Spirit. He said nothing apart from what was by the Spirit. And even his miracles, he did them by the Spirit. 
And when he came to die, he offered himself to God by the Spirit. And even when he was raised from the dead, he was raised by the Spirit. His qualification. Man who is God, a man controlled by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit, constantly. So when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's saying something amazing. Then there's his equipping for this work. Why didn't he preach on this text before? It's a question to ask, isn't it? Well, the reason why he hadn't preached on it before in Nazareth would be because it was not yet true if he had said it before. But something has happened to him that now makes it possible for him to say it. And what happened to him was what happened at his baptism. Short time before this, guided by the Spirit, he had made his way to the Jordan and joined the long queue that were waiting to be baptized by John the Baptist. Everybody in that queue, however long it was, were there for one reason. They were there to confess their sins. No other reason at all for them being there. And eventually when the queue is dealt with and John sees Jesus standing there, and John's his relative, John knows who he is. And John says, I'm not going to baptize you. You're not like the rest of them in the line. You're not a sinner. How can I baptize you? And Jesus just said to him, just do it. He wanted to be numbered with the transgressors. That's amazing, isn't it? He wanted to be numbered with the transgressors publicly. And as his baptism occurs, he's praying. What else would a spiritual man be doing? And at the same time, the Father speaks. Has that happened before? Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Father couldn't see that by anybody else who had ever appeared before. But here he was, summarizing this in a sense, 
for 30 years in Nazareth. I'm well pleased with that. And then the Holy Spirit came down on him. The spirit he's already had. But not had in the way he came down on him at the Jordan. The Spirit came down on him in a special way to enable him to function as the Messiah. Came down like a dove, telling those who had eyes to see that he was here in peace. Because after all, the Messiah is the Prince of Peace. And he's now qualified. He's equipped. All that he needed to have was for the Holy Spirit to come in this particular manner. The date had arrived. And now he's ready. And because he's obedient, he immediately starts to do it. What would be the first thing we'd expect him to do Probably not fair to ask that question. Because something entirely new has happened. But what is the first thing he does now that he's anointed with the Spirit in a a special manner? What does the Spirit compel him to do? Because we are told that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And that's a very strong word. Why is he going there? The war has started. The war of the Prince of Peace. And since he's going to fight his enemy, he might as well start with the biggest one. The devil... How is he going to defeat him? By the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. So now he's ready. So he comes to Nazareth and he makes this incredible statement. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. And he's got to declare three things. What are the three things he declares in this prophecy? Well, he says he's going to proclaim. What does the word proclaim mean? It means to proclaim with authority, to speak with authority, assertiveness almost being dogmatic. So what is he going to be dogmatic about? Well, he's going to, good news to the poor. And then he says, the second thing he's going to um, mention is that God, his Father, 
has sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Freedom. The universal cry. The universal longing. But the thing that's really missing from all of life. Then the third thing he's going to mention is there in verse 19, the year of the Lord's favor. That's a reference to the Old Testament custom of the year of Jubilee, when all the poor who had lost everything got it all back. These three things would be quite incredible. Imagine being told that. You're going to hear good news. You're going to be set free. And everything's going to be restored. Of course, we go back to Isaiah chapter 61. We find he didn't quote the entire verse. Why did he stop where he stopped? And maybe that's why the congregation didn't like his message because of where he stopped. Because the prophecy of Isaiah goes on to speak about this man who's, on whom the Spirit of the Lord is going to be, that he's going to bring judgment. The moment for judgment had not yet arrived. But one day it will come. But until then... It's the year of the Lord's favor. As we look at these um, intentions of Jesus, are they literal or symbolic? It is a case that he did give a few blind people their sight. Not aware of anyone he released from prison. So I suspect that the references to these um, features are symbolic rather than literal. Doesn't mean that his miracles, whether giving sight to the blind or raising people from the dead or feeding the 5,000 or curing lepers. It doesn't mean that these are not important. But they're not the main thing. The main thing was he had come to give another kind of deliverance. And deliverance from something, from a power that affects everyone and which makes them blind, and which makes them slaves, and which deprives them of everything. What is that power? The power is sin. Sin. People talk today about 
power of this and power of that. And they're blind to the biggest power that's all around them and within them. And that power is the power of sin. And Jesus got good news about sin. He's got good news about those whom sin has impoverished. I mean, sin has made all of us very poor. If we want to count our assets, and what society would regard as making people rich, well, that can easily disappear. But people are poor because they don't have the riches of God. The riches of his mercy, the riches of his grace. Sin has made us poor. Poor in that sense. And Jesus has got good news for that. He's going to deal with the problem on the cross. We're blind. We don't see where we're going. We don't understand what's going on. Life is all one long list of problems. And we don't know what. We can't assess it. We can't remedy it. Jesus says he can enable us all to see to see what we cannot see apart from him. The reality of where we're going the reality of the eternal kingdom and so on. And he promises to liberate us from the power of sin. Did you have an argument this week? That speaks about the power of sin. Sin is everywhere. Jesus promises to liberate from it. And he's going to do it for a while. The year of the Lord's favor. This year is not marked by 365 days. Or even 365 years. It's a period between then and the last day. It's the year of the Lord's favor in which he can be found. Of course, many people did find it, didn't they? Blind people found it. Blind Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the one to whom Jesus said, don't you know these things? He knew a lot, but he was spiritually blind. Or the blind 
woman from Sychar, who liked to have a discussion about whether they should worship God here or there. And Jesus said, you won't worship them in either of these places you're thinking about. But God wants, he said to her, God wants you to worship him. She'd been blind. Although in her own way she was quite religious. Like Nicodemus. But both of them blind to the truth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus opened the eyes of both of them. Oh, there's the, the woman that was caught engaged in sinful activity and people wanted to condemn her. When Jesus said to her, where are, you, where are your accusers? After he had managed very quickly to dismiss them. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Are those oppressed like Mary Magdalene out of whom he cast seven demons? Set her free whatever she had done to bring that about in her life. She was liberated. Or the maniac at Gadara who sadly had far more than seven inside him. But he was liberated by Jesus, sitting in his right mind. This is Jesus who was thrown out of the synagogue in Nazareth. The one who is God. The man controlled by the Spirit. The man who can give us true riches, who cries, who proclaims it to us, who silences all the other voices shouting in our ears, who gives us spiritual eyesight so that we can see truth, who liberates us from the powers of darkness, who currently is administrating the year of the Lord's favor and offering to anyone who wishes to have it the freedom that he can give. This is the Messiah, the man who is now received the Spirit in another way than he even received on the, at the banks of the Jordan. Because when he ascended on high, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And through him, now blesses the nation. Today is a great day. 
Why is it great? Because Jesus is proclaiming to us in the power of the Spirit what was pictured by the year of Jubilee that we can be restored to God, that we can become members of his family, that we can share his inheritance, that we can know his blessings. And he offers them to everyone freely. And when he gives them, they are permanent. I suppose the question that comes to us, to put it this way, if we had been in Nazareth, would we have said to Jesus, keep on speaking. Tell us what you mean. Or will we join the crowd? Because it's easy to join the crowd. We join the crowd and lead him to the brow of the hill and try to do the impossible, which is to get rid of him. But you can't any more than the people of Nazareth could when they tried to throw him over the cliff. He just walked away. And in walking away, is that not very solemn? Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that Jesus knew who he was. That he waited on your time. For your time when he was to speak in Nazareth. For your time when he was to go to the cross to pay the penalty of sin. For your time when he would be not only raised, but he would ascend to heaven and there be highly exalted. And from there, in a marvelous way to be the dispenser of the Holy Spirit throughout this year of the Lord's favor. Lord, help us to experience his favor even today. For your own name's sake. Amen. We'll conclude by singing from Psalm 22 and sing Psalms, verses 25 to 27. The tune is Warrington, you are the theme of all my praise within the great assembly, Lord. We'll stand to sing. You are the theme of all my praise.
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.